podcast edition. Producer Trent here. Today's episode was a double dose of Zoltzman's Helen and Andy joining Robin and Josie. And also we had some cooking from George Egg on the live show. Uh, That's not in the podcast version, obviously. Uh, Cooking's very visual, so that's not in this version, but you do have Helen and Andy. You can drop a tip in the tip jar to help out artists and venues struggling at the moment at cosmicshambles.com slash stay at home. You can support us at the Cosmic Shambles Network, uh, bookshambles.com slash... No, not bookshambles.com. Sorry, it's been a, it's been a long 2020. It's, it's been a long 2020. The address to support us is patreon.com slash bookshambles. You can go there to pledge... Uh, to support us and we've got some extra patreon exclusives coming up very soon as well next monday in fact we'll let you know about that very soon here's the episode hello welcome uh, to uh, robin and josie's classic shambles morning for the first time in seven weeks i got in first because Robert was momentarily distracted thinking about a 1970s entertainer. And that's I'd lost the... a book. I'd lost a book. But I found it. I found a book. <laughs> now, we were talking about that before uh, before we, we, we began, which is I am overly obsessed. I remember once Matt Lucas saying to me, he said, I know people find this weird and you're going to find this weird, but I, I, I love watching old episodes of 321. And I went, oh. this is anyway weird to me. The lure... <laughs> Of 70s and 80s, because I, I was telling Josie that for some reason this morning at quarter to eight, I thought, how should I start my day? I am kind of trying to research a science book. I should probably watch uh, an interview with Morris from the Grumbleweeds on some kind of uh, um, Mediterranean cruise that he was an entertainer on. What's weird is I've never heard of the Grumbleweeds prior to this morning, and now I've heard the word Grumbleweed like 40 times. I still don't. Is it like the Wurzels? Well, kind of, I think. The Grumbleweeds were, uh, I mean, they began in 1962. Uh, they originally started out as an entertainment. No, they, they were one of those, a bit like the band. Have you ever heard of the Baron Knights? No. Right, the Baron Knights used to do novelty songs. They did a song called Get Down, Shep, which I think might have been number one, which was all about John Noakes getting annoyed with Shep jumping up. Get down, Shep, you're as bad as a naughty dog. And they used to do parody songs. Grumbleweeds yeah. were similar. So they were like a kind of uh, working men's club circuit band who would yeah. go on. Here's a couple of songs of it all together. Here's some impressions. Here's some sketches. Here's a man in a gas mask doing a monologue. It was oh, classic. Yeah. End of the peer entertainment, and I, I am overly obsessed. Anyway, good morning. Uh, I love it. It's so exciting to me. I, again, the seventies are fascinating to me because I was not alive in any of them, and so like they just have this kind of odd allure, but this absolute impenetrability for me because I'll never truly understand. But I'll just be bombarded. Like, like this is okay. This is silly, but so much brown in decor. People genuinely liked that. Yeah, the 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 brown, and then eventually that evolved into the avocado bathroom, the all yeah. matching bathroom. If I've got, I don't, I don't know, know if there's any adverts in one of my old uh, color supplements because there's normally adverts for fixtures and fittings. And it was, I think, it was a strange time because it had it was far enough away from the Second World War. There was no more rationing. People 
who had lived through the war, like the things we've talked about before with recipe cards. And we should mention, by the way, our guests today are Helen Zaltzman, Andy Zaltzman, and also George Egg, who does a lovely line in recipe cards himself. So there were all of these lurid foods that shouldn't really have existed, mixing everything that was now available, you know. And uh, and so, the you know, those kind of... And I think there was this sense that this was meant to be the, the best of times. Mm. I think I don't we should think bring Helen in because that. Helen's someone who has... Uh, a number of sort of 70s cookbooks and uh i, I feel like you're somebody who shares this interest, interest <laughs> in these in things. these things so well so welcome uh, our guest helen zaltzman hello hi. helen hi thanks for having me and uh, how fortuitous uh, one of the things i brought to show you is um a gift i was sent by my friends in sweden will and zara uh just the other day um it's a willie's lilla cockbock too I don't speak Swedish, so this is all I know. And um, it very much has the 70s styling of food that looks like that. Oh, wow. But um, it also has Can like a show, Halloween. Sorry, show that again, because is that, it safe? that was initially a Petri dish when it, you showed it to me. Um, <laughs> Hang on. It's not uh, a, uh, oh, that's just a close-up of couscous. Where's it gone? Where's the big plate of... It's, it's um, a wonderful oh, there's thing, another. Oh, oh Wow! Yeah, that's the different kind of cookbook. That that that's the cookbook that 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 says this is good. This is good for you. Oh, eggs. yes, you're right. This is like a bridge between the gelatine fish and the cranks vegetarian. This is like trying to embody both. Oh, what's that? Oh. Mint? That's just a full page shot of raw mince. Oh, that, uh, for a moment I thought it was a poster for a David Cronenberg film. That was well, a very exciting moment. Let me take you to the Halloween section of this book then, Robin, um, um, <laughs> which um, is my favourite part. So you've got these uh, bats with dicks. Of course. Oh, very my normal. goodness. And um, you've got... Uh, who else have you got? You've got the KKK cakes. KK cakes. Oh, my God. Um, and... And how can I just check... Is that a meringue-based cake? Is that at each one of those the the peak of a, 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 a meringue that makes the the KKK oh, cake? I can't tell you, Robin, because the recipe's in Swedish. Is um, one of is those KKK cake, 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 cake or is it KKK? Helen, is that recipe called Mums Mums Mums? Mums Mums spoken. Well, I say that all uh, the time. I don't know what's in it again because I don't speak Swedish, but it's fingers made of something. Frankfurt ah, carrots. So realistic. Almonds for nails. Oh, that that is an interesting because uh, I now feel that I should get a copy of that book. And every time that I watch uh, a favourite Ingmar Bergman film, you know, Wild, <laughs> Wild Strawberries, <laughs> Silence, Silence, I should, I should also, also eat maybe a bit of KKK cake, uh, or I won't eat raw mint. Probably was that actually the dish, or was that the first stage? I think it's just describing raw mint. Uh, I think they had a colour plate to fill, and only had twenty minutes to work out what to do. Yeah, I mean, here's a glamour shot of uh, fondue, which always photographs well. Just <laughs> big, big yellow. Um, but this, uh, although I think it is in the 70s or early 80s style, it's actually from 2002. What? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, what? 70s revival, maybe. So when were you drawn? What was because, I mean, you were brought up near Tunbridge Wells, which has some fantastic uh, charity shops. Very good. Uh, yes. I've often picked up interesting things. A good. It's only a small Oxfam bookshop, but it's, it's very well stocked. Well, um, I worked just down the way from that Oxfam bookshop and it was our rival actually, especially as they had a lift into the basement that you could put books in, a very small lift. So where were, where were you was then? Was there Which real was... animosity between you and the old <laughs> time? Yeah, wipe those uh, 
charities <laughs> off the planet. Um, well, I worked um, a few doors down at Hall's Bookshop, which had been there since 1898 and had a lot of books for 10p. And because I could see the books coming in, um, I could swipe anything that looked interesting, which is where my um, collection of uh, vile and evil cookbooks uh, really took shape. Um, oh, that's wonderful. You know, a lot of very sexist stuff. But then at home, because my mother was a human woman in the 60s and 70s, we also had a lot of them. Um, and there was not just a load of old lentils. Do you remember that? Mm. Yeah. The, uh, there's a, I'm, I've still got all the, uh, I've still got all the, uh, the kind of ring binders where my mum had yes. cut, cut out some good housekeeping. And, but that's an interesting thing that the battle between bookshops and charity bookshops, because I think you've done it as well, Josie, you too, like me have been a host of the charity shop awards. Haven't you? Uh, I have actually. Yes, I have. Yes. One of the, the great time I've done a corporate and not died. <laughs> it is so much fun. I remember, uh, I think, I forget which charity, charity shop. I think it was in Exeter. It was a hospice charity shop. That was, it, was, it was its night. It was the big night. It was, the, it was the brave heart of charity shops that particular year in terms of just sweeping the board. And, uh, and it was great. There was this, uh, the woman who won, uh, the first time she went up, she kind of just grabbed me and, and wrestled. It was a bit like the Brian Blessed story of how he does a water. She kind of wrestled me. And then, uh, and, and, and the second, time she just kind of went Rah! and it was all the things that you don't see it was a charity shops letting go at mm. the excitement of those that had won the uh best mm. christmas window display uh 2007 and it was absolutely and the next day she was mortified she went oh i'm so sorry i i said i said no it was great it was a wonderful thing to see this mm. sudden just burst of utter exuberance that lies behind good management of uh, of a charity shop <coughs> That's yeah. how I felt. Anyway, we should um, also bring in Andy, Andy Zaltzman. Um, Andy, I, d yeah. I don't think we've segued uh, easily into your show and tell, but no. uh, what's your show and tell today? What's your well, show can and I tell just today? quickly pick up on um, something Helen was talking about, the, the Swedish cookbook, because I do speak Swedish, so sure. I can tell you exactly <laughs> what that means. So, uh, Willie's Lilla Kockbock. Um, Kockbock means uh, for cannibals. Uh, <laughs> uh, Lilla means cookbook and Willie's means for all Swedish people. So um that, that would explain <laughs> some, some of the photographs. Um my sh my show and tell. It's even got eyes on the cover. Um, <gasps> it, this this is my show and tell. Um Wow, what is it? Is that oh, your eBay purchase history printed no, out? This is um I can't quite see what you're seeing on the screen this is uh, the scorecards uh, from the cricket world cup final last year that i compiled working for uh, bbc's test match special radio coverage using a scoring system that i uh, developed uh, in 2016 an age when you would have thought pen and paper had been consigned to the history books um, hang on what what do you mean so what are you scoring them separately to the results of the game well, so what, what my job is, as uh, when I'm doing uh, uh, cricket coverage on the radio, is to come up with statistics uh, of uh, potential interest to the listener and the other commentators, uh, and to provide basic information that the commentators uh, need or haven't noticed. Um, yeah. uh, anyway, so I, I developed a system with, as you can see, a childish number of coloured pens um, and highlighter pens. Yeah, and, you need um, a full pencil case just to operate that system. Josie, I have three pencil cases on the go when I'm doing that job. Three. Oh, 
Oh, my God. And they free... say these people aren't hardworking. <laughs> do you have one pencil, pencil case per team? <laughs> I do not, Helen, no. Uh, but it is a three-pencil case job. Um, it's the only thing in my life that I'm at all organised about. Um, so, anyway, so that's, that's that. So, that was my, as a child, as Helen will testify, uh, I was um, uh, ridiculously obsessed with cricket and uh, remain so... Uh, even in these cricketless times that we're uh, we're living through right now, and doing what Johnny's doing. Johnny is watching old cricket matches, cricket matches on YouTube. Uh, you say old Josie, they are eternal. Yes, truly. Mm. He's what? Yes, now they are in heaven. They're, they're sort of forever preserved. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's the block universe theory of cricket, which uh, right. Einstein. Don't know everyone reads Einstein's book on the block uh, universe theory of cricket, but Samuel Beckett did. Um, yeah. Well, Samuel Beckett played, played uh, uh, first-class cricket for Trinity College Dublin and had a brief obituary in Wisdom Cricketers' Almanac, and I believe is the only first-class cricketer to have won a Nobel Prize. So, See, that's what I was wondering: is is he the only person to have won the Nobel Prize for literature, or is, or is it all Nobel prizes? I've never been certain whether maybe there was someone who won the Nobel Prize uh, for physics, for instance, right. who might have also been uh, a first-class cricketer, or whether it's all Nobel prizes with uh, Samuel Beckett. Right, I no, think he, he and both of them came close one year with some pioneering <laughs> research on uh, uh, splitting um, uh, what I would have loved mercury atoms. If you'd have just got a really large, large ledger. ledger and you'd have opened it up and there'd have been all these different rainbow-coloured ticks next to all the boxes and you could have just found and said, oh, yes, in 1953, the Nobel Prize for Chemistry, that would have been yes. my dream. Well, uh, this does feel a little bit like we've organised some sort of remote family mediation for you. <laughs> just wondering yeah. if either of you had a grievance to air in this safe space. Well, let's bring in our elder brother, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> what I found interesting, just with, with your uh, the, the the way that you were uh, um, there notating all, all the, the 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 nature of of that particular cricket game is is I bought for my dad last week from Jeff Towns, uh, Dylan Thomas uh, guy on uh, on Twitter who who puts up new books on Instagram every day. I bought him a um, a leaflet or a, a pamphlet of the Ashes series of I think fifty four fifty five. Would it be fifty three fifty four? Which you used to be able to buy, and it literally had every ball was described, everything that happened. It was an entire chronicle. Of, so obviously people who didn't have a radio or didn't have access could basically buy in book form ball by ball description of the entire Ashes series. Yeah, I mean those are that's that's really re very much the high point of human civilization. I mean you can you might look at the you know Michael Angelo's little bit of interior decorating in the Sistine Chapel, but it was nowhere near as good as those nineteen fifties uh, cricket pamphlets. It would have been the fifty four fifty five Ashes, I think, if it was the one in Australia, a thrilling series in which England, of course, came back from losing the first Test to win three oh, one. Don't, don't, yeah, don't tell me yet. I haven't read the book. I haven't read the book. Don't give it. Don't. The uh, I love this things. I mean, what joy those things. I've are. wasted my life. I wonder what you would be, Andy, without cricket. Just all of the things that could rush in and fill your personality. Yes. Exactly. Well, you, you let's have not think about that. <laughs> and the supercomputer computer has been trained onto onto that. Yeah, it's been hacked. Yeah, it was, it was hacked at the age of six, I think. <laughs> Don't you think? I mean, that's the thing with the, the beauty. It's going fine until Helen was born, to be honest. <laughs> we all started going downhill. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Let it out. Let it out. Where's the grudge? 
<laughs> but you've both found, found kind, of, kind of corners of interest to to obsess about, haven't you? Which I think is a good thing. I, th- I think that, that to, to me, there are so many a, a, extraneous kind of barbs of, of existence if you've just got lots of interests. But I mean, like, you know, Helen, with your, you know, with the Illusionist podcast, uh, with, you know, the, the love of words, and you've always had all of the different kind of, you see, you know, the Scrabble competitions that you would run uh, during the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Boggle, Those, important. Know, the Scrabble's not fun. Yeah. It's for mathematicians. Oh, is it not? Oh, is it Thank you. Mm-hmm. Scrabble is for people who don't don't appreciate the thrills of life. Yeah. I, I uh, can cheese. I just tell a quick story about my greatest ever victory uh, uh, in Scrabble. Yes. Um, it was um, it was while uh, my uh, wife uh, was in labour uh, with our first child, and we were sitting in hospital, and she had been epiduraled. Okay. Uh, up to the eyeballs, and I absolutely crushed her. It was a total <laughs> and utter demolition. Okay, maybe it's good that cricket has taken out the rest of your personality. <laughs> can we man. see the uh, colour-coded, uh, framed uh, victory uh, in that, which, of course, underneath has a very small picture of the child that was born, but predominantly <laughs> is uh, dominated by, the, by your victory. But yeah. to get back to your point, Robin, I, I would, would say that, that my interest in language, let's bear in mind, language is used in every country in the world, whereas cricket is played by, what, about seven countries? It's more than that, technically. The ICC yeah, has a lot of... Nine. Uh, I could see, see the feeling rising up and it being just, just very, very carefully managed. I could see it. <laughs> so, yeah, I understand. When, uh, when you were younger, did you have an interest in words? When, how did it develop for you, sort oh. of, uh, your linguistic... Uh, hobby passion probably quite a lot to do with growing up with Andy and him being five and a half years older than me and um quite uh, verbally agile um and also I was a mistake baby so no one had to say <laughs> so, you're a mistake child as well not just a child as well mistake baby. Just a mistake yeah baby. I grew from a mistake, yeah, I grew from a mistake baby mistake. into a mistake adult it's uh, consistent <laughs> Um, but, you know, the family had kind of to other things when I was born. So it was very much like if you're going to speak, then uh, it has to be on a level with the others. <laughs> so thank you that- for that. And in terms of your exploration, I mean, you're, you've done over, it's it's well over 100 now of yeah. The Illusionist, isn't it? Of, mm-hmm. uh, of, of that podcast. Are, that podcast. The, are there certain words that by investigating them, you actually go, I'm not going to use that so much now. I find that, uh, I, I find that particular, uh, that, that, that phrase is out for me now. Um, it's really complicated my attitude towards the English language as a whole, because it's a very interesting language, but it's also... A real problem because it's uh, obliterated a lot of other languages. It's the story of colonialism through the language, but also um, little things. I think partly because I'm just being aware of linguistic shifts that are happening all the time. Um, so my vocabulary has been informed by understanding more about, you know, um, like gender identity and stuff like that. But um, one word I don't really use now is guys. Um, because I didn't really care about it. And then I made an episode because I thought it was interesting that that word that's quite generic came from Guy Fawkes. Um, And I knew that some people didn't like it because they were like, it's gender specific, but it's used in a gender non-specific way. Mm. And I didn't really have feelings about it. And then by the time I finished the episode, I was just really pissed off about it. (laughs) And I still am. 
because those gender non-specific words like guys and dude, they're always masculine words. Mm. And it's never the other way around. You don't get like gals becoming a word you can use for everybody. So gender neutral. Yeah, I remember thinking that if I, as a woman, used them, I was somehow changing them. But you're right, it's, it's um, you can't use, what's that really famous phrase of like, uh, that you can't use your master's tools to dismantle your master's house yes. I can't remember. sorry i'm quoting it wrong depends but on the tools that your master's got if he's got a wrecking ball you might as well you know but it's, yeah. it's that feeling of exactly that, that feeling of exactly that that it will always be within the confines of reclaiming a word that is a male word yeah even, even wrecking ball of course is a male term as well it's not wrecking over <laughs> it is it it's true it's true oh that's very interesting because I think it's something again, like going onto stage, I'm trying to stop myself saying ladies and gentlemen, because yeah. I like the idea of saying something that means everybody in just a positive way, not trying to sort of make myself feel that I couldn't say it, but like trying to find a way to sort of, but it's so conditioned just to go ladies and gentlemen that, um, yeah, yeah, this yeah. quite deep. You start thinking about it. It's all ruined. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> nothing left. It's true of everything. <laughs> I think we'll we'll come back and talk because I think it's a very interesting I've certainly noticed I think there was a point in terms of reading books where you start to notice the dominance not merely of terminology but like the number of collections of books that I've got from basically anything pre about 1990 where I go wow there's one female author or no female authors in this and and that what again like i always find it fascinating once you notice it once it's a bit like the discordian idea you know the number 23 and that what once you you will see the number 23 everywhere once you're kind of conditioned to go right i'm looking for the pattern the, the 23 pattern mm-hmm. it doesn't work for me for some reason but it works for for discordians generally apparently and robert anton wilson amongst others but that that to me is is that but if you until you're made aware of it you could just wander through the world and it doesn't bump against you at all. And then once you go, oh, yeah, and that and that and that. And it does. I mean, I've certainly I've changed. It's a great way of getting rid of some books as well. I'm always trying to find excuses to get rid of certain books. And I'll go, right, that's another shelf that I can just give up on now because it turns out this is it's too archaic. These things are too archaic. Um, we've not mentioned, by the way, patriarchy books. <laughs> the uh um well so yeah science it's uh, i've certainly had a lot of changes in terms of um comprehension of of uh of, of that journey um the uh anyway we're gonna uh we should mention the tip jar there's a tip jar at the bottom of this uh we're building up a fund for uh artists and art centers and also please uh go to our patreon as well this is kind of how we managed to make we make an enormous number of shows i mean we've made now i think over 70 of, of of these but also throughout the year we make lots of kind of documentaries and we make uh podcasts every week on books and we do lots of other stuff with scientists and literary people and all manner of things and if you go to our, our patreon site and i think it's only about a, a dollar or something like that uh uh, per per podcast or whatever and we also work on a limit so if we do too many podcasts in a month you don't end up getting charged for all of them uh join our patreon thing so we can still keep making things because we like making things i think as well that is a perfect dish for between haywards heath and east croydon you have just enough time for prepping and all of that uh george as well just uh, Looks great. The um, where should people go to find out more about your uh, cooking and uh, I won't say your live work um, <laughs> for the time being. Uh, you can go to george george egg dot com, uh, where I've got yeah info. There's some videos on there. 
and and also the opportunity if you wish to buy the recipe cards which have all the recipes how to do on the train how to do with power tools how to do in a hotel room and the instructions on the back and they're all fake stained they're based on the old weight watchers cards which you're yeah the design is so classic wonderful thank you so much george we uh as i said go and find out about george egg's work and uh if you have time start but i don't have a way do you have got my waitrose card josie i haven't got my waitrose card i've got a hertfordshire library's card I know you get a free coffee with them as well, which is, I, I'm just basically leaving money on the table. There's no need. Got to get with my Waitrose card. It's, uh, it's the future. No, my Hertfordshire Library's card is more than enough for my wallet. Thank you. Well, Thank you, George. I just say a public information thing, which is that I did not realise what my library card entitled me to online. And it entitles me to so much access to um, e-books and uh, magazines and journals and stuff like that. And if you are a library member and you haven't thought in those, because I, I just always think about it in terms of physical books, but this time especially have a look see what your council does because hackney council does amazing stuff so oh well, that's a really thing to know. i will go and find out about that uh later on i had no idea about that either i'm just quickly going to mention this wasn't going to be my show and tell but it happens to be uh, I, I wouldn't normally show men's magazines but again jeff towns i couldn't resist getting a copy of men only because i think it's very interesting culturally to see the change in things mm. and uh, men only in 1942 their cover star was an avuncular starlin so <laughs> it's a big change oh my in God. Terms- so, I, avuncular in 1942. Uh, I, again, I've got it particularly for the adverts. There's a wonderful. Uh, the wise warden has one before he turns out and another before he turns in. Schwebs table water. Um, did did Stalin get his kit off for that or not? Uh, it's, I will, it's very tasty. The one with Mao's little red. Anyway, so this is... Uh, um, this, though, I, I'm just flicking through it. Uh, uh, stab cricket. This is one for you, Andy, there. This is a, a, an essay about stab cricket by, I don't know if you know the author, R.C. Robertson Glasgow. Yes, he was a uh, um, yeah, famous cricket writer, very witty. Is that oh, this Known as Crusoe, is it? Sorry? His name was Crusoe. Yeah. Well, this is. Uh, um, I feel this, like your knowledge is so precious. Like anything that's put in front, anything that's put in front of you can be related. Yes, that's true. But yeah, that's not my knowledge. That's just how great cricket is, Josie. It's a way of justifying <laughs> it. <laughs> but that's Andy, a thing, isn't it? It's a wonderful way that we can all justify our interest. We will find way of connecting them to the universe in so many. Uh, I mean, you must find that, uh, Helen, as well, which is uh, what some people might see as a you know a reasonably arcane hobby. Uh, for you, is something which gives you some sense of of, of connection. Well, you can always well connect. you can always connect anything to a seventies cookbook. <laughs> Usually through nightmares. <laughs> um, I, so I, I don't know how much much time how much, much time we've got. I've, I, I have a nineteen thirties magazine that had a page entitled "If a Test Match Were Played on the Moon," with um, uh, uh, an illustration of what cricket would be like on the moon. Uh, <laughs> and Andy, I need impractical. you to scan that page and yeah. email that to me. Oh, well, uh, that yeah. is something that I, I have to share. That is, uh, well, that I, is such I, a wonderful thing. Well, I was, I was Andy, just ask you, what is stab cricket? Stab cricket, by the way. Yes, it sounds very. Uh, you sharpen the bat and then just uh, I th- go. It was a way of uh, making cricket uh, more attractive to the wartime population, by the sounds of it. <laughs> Well, for R.C. Robertson Glasgow, it's schoolboys in moments, in moments of, of stolen ease. Stolen ease. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? 
Stolen that e- was very different from the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes play stab cricket. They make a chart of ex. They make a chart, Andy. You're in on this already, aren't you? They make a chart of exits, entrances, extras, and other familiar contingencies. Seize a pair of compasses, or better still, someone else's pen, and project themselves into heroic adventures before roaring crowds. Hammond bowled me with a leg break. Me six 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 six. Run out, damn it! And then I stabbed them all. Yeah, and then then you stabbed them with the compass, it appears. Hammond wasn't really a leg-break bowler, so it's a slightly unlikely scenario. But you can go anywhere you want. That's the thing about stab cricket. It opens up the imagination. One of my favourite cricket moments was um, I was down in the Larn Weekend Festival, beautiful festival, and uh, it was a a, a one-day between England and the West Indies, and it was the uh, Martin Carthy, uh, the brilliant folk singer Martin Carthy, and Linton Quasi Johnson, and Linton Quasi Johnson wouldn't go on until the end of the match. And you will now be able to tell me which match this was. Uh, I can't remember. I think the, the final over, the West Indies were probably lagging by somewhere like a about 25 runs and as far as i remember the first four balls uh each one a six was scored well that was the final of the uh 2016 world 2020 uh, in which um ben stokes, stokes. uh as part of the, the his great redemption arc um bold entered a fugue state yes Peter <laughs> Johnson walked on stage that night with like like just like that sense of extra victory. I mean, it was a brilliant gig anyway. Linton Quaze Johnson is 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 a, is a wonderful artist to watch. But that moment of him just seeing Martin, Martin Carthy was lovely about it. But you could see there was there was a sense that Martin Carthy's gig would go for a more melancholy folk uh, sensation really that evening, whereas uh, Linton Quaze Johnson went for a lot more of his upbeat work. And Andy, I want to ask you. This is potentially the only time in our lives when there's no sport. Yeah. This is potentially. What's it been like for you to have no new sport for this length of time? How's uh, it felt? What have you done? Well, it's been deep, deeply, deeply, deeply harrowing, uh, Josie. Uh, I mean, in many ways, it's the worst aspect of this whole crisis on a global level. You know, I mean, because you know, a, a world without sport, we've seen is not what's the point of that um you know sport without a world we could still we could still watch that can you you still watch mm. yeah i mean mm. really on the beer space station yeah International exactly. space station. So. when we were children andy invented a form of cricket that he could play in the car um with a six-sided role to well, i didn't invent that how many runs. i didn't invent that i just i honed it yeah it wasn't my invention so you, play you know, your own? yeah who needs teams? Yeah. But have you done something similar, similar to fill to... the void? Have you been playing a lot of sport at home? Have you been inventing sports? Have you been watching old sport? What have you been doing? Uh, a bit of all of those things, things yes. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, in fact, when yesterday we were out for our uh, one-hour state-mandated uh, walkies on the, to go and do our business on the common, and some people were releasing uh, balloons and... I got really excited as to which balloon would rise the quickest. I and mean, that's, that's what, what I'm reduced to now, is <laughs> getting excited about a, a, a balloon race. So, um, Anything can become a sport. Yes. See yeah. what goes off in your fridge quickest. Yeah. Also, what's good about, that is it's a longer, good about that is it's a longer game like cricket, isn't it? Because that lasts weeks, that, that yeah. fridge, yeah. fridge watch. Yeah. 
there's something meditative about it, it but yeah you can just sit there watching your fridge and it, or, i mean obviously you don't, if you keep the door open it goes off quicker so that slightly spoils the, but that's like a 2020 the, version of the yeah yeah you know you've oh, got the fridge fixing yeah oh, i'm just interested in that you basically just got to sit next to a closed fridge and maybe open it and have a look about once every eight hours. That's mm. I think that's probably a pretty good substitute for Test match cricket. I have to admit, Helen, that the, the image of you all growing up is this kind of weirdly gregariously solitary uh, experience of family life. Um, this that is, works. So the um, in terms of the, the the illusionist, are you still creating those at the moment? Uh, are there more episodes coming out? Uh, yeah week so i suppose i should make some <laughs> idea of where you're going to begin with this i mean in any way has this situation changed because all of these you, know, you know there are, there certain, are certain things, things of, you know, of, you know, the, the, the most cliched and mundane would be things like furloughed which you know words which mm. suddenly appear and very often people then don't even quite i had no real idea exactly what that was till yesterday talking to a friend of mine being furloughed but it uh, words appear and very often yeah. we don't even question them. We just, oh, he's been furloughed. What does that mean? Well, furlough. All of those things. So, so the vocabulary changes with uh, yeah. situations like this. Yeah, I think there's a lot of cliches as well because, because you don't have the words really. So you just resort to the ones that are around. And I think it's... Uh, so I'm trying to figure out how to vent the fact that I'm very pissed off at governments using war analogies for this mm. and why I think it's bad. But... Um, what I'm going to do next week is an episode about um, keep calm and carry on. Uh, um, I know, right? <laughs> so one of the worst this, things, yeah. Just one of the most culturally of sort of vapid and gross and unhelpful. Ah, and all of its children, all of its <laughs> keep calm. I'm a bitch. <laughs> yeah, calm and anything can happen after the end. <laughs> yeah. So it that, I'm going to be able to psychologist find out why it's annoying. Do you find, have you ever found something that has really, really been the opposite of what your expectation would have been? Um, so you've gone in to investigate something thinking, oh, this will be an interesting story because my assumption is this, that, the other. And then it's actually been completely different to that when you've investigated it. Yeah, uh, quite a lot. Otherwise, I'm not that interested, actually. I expect, I don't really want to look into them. Um quite often you think oh this would be a good story and it's actually very boring there's a lot <laughs> of etymology where it looks juicy and it's just origin unknown or it's meant that since 800 AD um I thought step was really interesting because I thought oh that probably means that you know you're a step away from the biological lineage of the family but it actually means grief um because until fairly recently if there was a step relative that was because a death had occurred wow yeah yeah, it's a, it's a, the war analogy one. I think is a is a uh, a, a wonderful place to go. Because I think also that also that sense failed. Should you in any way be defeated by something which is not in the position for you to be able to control? I right. I, I, I think is uh, is is one of the yeah we we see that with so many different kind of ideas of of disease etc. Yeah, right. Battling cancer. It's not it's not necessarily self determined most most illnesses in fact like you just have to kind of sit and have them um but i suppose people want to blame you for you being ill so that it makes them feel like it makes them feel like if they stay strong in mind they can't get it but also i think it limits uh cooperation between countries because 
you have battled it the best compared to other countries when actually what would be much, be much more useful, useful for all of us to cooperate globally and yeah resources you know but it's i think it stopped people really looking at trying to get the virus to the table to negotiate some kind of settlement some kind of armistice mm. and, uh, because who, policies and can't be seen to back down who can yeah. blame the virus if it's treated yeah. in those terms yeah yeah i just think war is such a weird thing to be nostalgic nostalgic for, for as well <laughs> and i'd imagine people who've actually lived through one don't feel that but it's exactly that, isn't it it's the generation whose parents lived through the war and there's going to be so much to do with their personal connections to them and their feelings of whether or not they let them down or whether or not they feel that they've lived according to what their parents wanted them to do etc like there's going to be so much odd psychological human stuff that's linked to that generation's kind of uh, you know in general kind of voting for certain things that younger generations are kind of horrified by obviously not everyone obviously not everyone but mm. I, I think you know when you see kind of conservative mps nostalgic for certain things that they never themselves experienced. It's, I think it's, it's not, I, I would actually come and say it's not me. I don't think it follows party lines specifically. I actually think that uh, the, the, the nostalgia for the better times for it is, is in lots better. of different ways, in lots of different areas. Mm -hmm. I, I do understand what you mean. And there are certain, we know the Marc Francoises, etc. you know, they mm -hmm. are seem to be the most, you know, overt, but I think, yeah, it, it can be, uh, we should, we're, we're running out of time. So I quickly need to say the, uh, some of the live chat, uh, people's uh, obsessions by the way uh, Motorhead very good obsession by the way Motorhead there's a very beautiful uh, if you've ever never seen Lemmy's memorial service it's on YouTube go and have a look at that uh, REM but only up to new adventures in hi-fi uh, the other oh, obsession very interesting um, I, I think there's some very good stuff in the 21st century from them actually um, fonts Wooden board games, only wooden board games, uh, motorcycle racing, and uh, Miles on live chat uh, used to play word cricket at school via a teacher with a verbal habit. We scored a run every time he said the word yes and a wicket if he said no. Uh, some amazing <laughs> scores in a 45-minute class. So those are some of the other uh, obsessions. Um, Andy, what can people see uh, or hear or read that you're doing uh, at the moment? Read that you're doing at the moment? Uh, well, just a bugle, really. They're still doing that every week, um, reporting on news that isn't really moving at all at the moment. It's, uh, yeah, it's uh, well, a challenging time. Yeah, but, um, how's it been to write the bugle during something like this? Well, quite um, quite difficult because, it, you know, even with you know, stories like Brexit, uh, there there's a sense of evolution about it, whereas uh, the, the coronavirus stories is pretty much the only news there has been for almost the whole year it's uh now in a um a sort of stage of stasis and it's quite hard to satirize things when you don't have anything approaching complete information about it i think so it's been uh, a challenge certainly and often um you know the easier things to do is just totally off the wall random stuff that i um intersperse with the the rest of it so uh, but i think the shows have been uh, pretty good well, I'm sure people who watch this will your weekly creative pain at the very least. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Helen, uh, as you said, the, the illusionist, is, is there anything else people should look out for? Yeah, there's Answer Me This and uh, my other podcast, Veronica Mars Investigations, uh, which is recapping the TV show Veronica Mars. But we also did a recap the other week of um, the 1995 BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. 
Oh, um, Helen, yeah. first time in my life, I've, I've my life, I've, I've mentioned this on this show before, but for the first time in my life, I engaged with Pride and Prejudice, and I watched the Joe Wright film, and I loved it, and I watched it three times because wow. it was so good. Um, so I suppose I should watch the BBC. How do you feel that compares to the BBC adaptation? I think there's things, there's things in one that are bad in the other one. So combined, perfect. Good. Pride and all this, essentially. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, th thank you so much, everyone, for uh, joining us. Uh, tomorrow, uh, we have, amongst others, we have uh, Maeve Higgins and Claudia Hodotti. And if you have not seen Claudia's show, Sarah's channel, which is on YouTube, uh, go and have a look at that. It's absolutely fantastic. And, and also, extraordinary, extraordinary on Netflix as well. So, so watch those uh, if you get a chance for them. And uh, also we have uh, the FGs tomorrow. Uh, they're our musical guest. Uh, Josie, uh, uh, do you have specific plans? Yes, I'm going to try, and do, try some... and do some writing in the next few, well, few, <laughs> few, <laughs> two hours. Um, so that'll be fun for me. And then um, probably try and kill, kill the day as best we can. Who was that? Oh, gosh. I think it was you and I talking about it. God, I hate my brain these days. There's um. <laughs> It was a, it's somebody that you would really uh, talking about spending the day with their five-year-old and saying, we killed the day as best we could. <laughs> and that's what we're going to be doing. Oh, it's someone really great as well that you'd be like, wow, they said that. Ah. Join us tomorrow. Who find out who the person was. Uh, <laughs> Vitriola tonight uh, at 8.30 uh, with Michael Legg. We're back on, on this, on Cosmic Shambles Stay at Home Festival. And uh, hopefully we, we definitely have uh, Pen Friend again. Uh, Laura Kidd, a.k.a. Pen Friend, is going to play some more of her new songs with us. And hopefully as well, he's currently in Nashville. Uh, we're going to also be joined by Robin Hitchcock. So uh, that's this evening, uh, 8.30. You, so you're doing that today. Okay, good, good. Oh yeah, and then I've got I've I've bought a huge uh, A1 pad, uh, which is how I'm now writing the book through collage and lots of lines and uh, the the approach to the Overlook Hotel in terms of my writing increases daily. Oh wow! Well, that's <laughs> Good. Uh, I'll, I'll show you tomorrow. I'll show you where I'm getting with my ideas and my cutting and my montage. Thanks very much, everyone. Thanks, Trent. Uh, thanks, everyone who's joined us thanks, on Patreon George. as well today. If you, as I said, uh, we make sure there's a cap as well. We're trying to create as much uh, stuff as possible. So go and join Cosmic Shambles on Patreon. Bye. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget cosmicshambles.com slash stay at home to catch up on all the previous episodes, find out who's coming up on upcoming episodes and to leave a tip for acts and artists and venues who are hit hardest at the moment. And if you'd like to support us at the Cosmic Shambles Network, patreon.com slash bookshambles. Oh.